Healthcare organizations are increasingly under attack. What are they doing to fight back, and how can they leverage threat intelligence better? Hi, I'm Tom Field, Vice President of Editorial with Information Security Media Group. I'm discussing the topic today with Dan McWhorter. He's the Chief Intelligence Strategist with FireEye. Dan, thanks so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. Dan, to start with, you were recently named a member of the HHS Healthcare Industry Cybersecurity Task Force. Talk to me about the primary challenges your group sees healthcare organizations facing now. Yeah, it'd probably be appropriate to describe a little what that task force is. It was established with the Cybersecurity Information Sharing Act in 2015, which basically required HHS to form a cyber task force and report back to Congress what they find. In the middle of March, about 21 members were selected for the committee. Uh, it was a combination of uh, DHS, NIST, and HHS that made those selections. And uh, we had our inaugural meeting in, in late March, and then in, in mid to late March had the, the first in-person meeting. Primarily what the, the task force is going to look at is we're going to look across industries, look across sectors, and try to find the best practices uh, that are going on outside of healthcare that we can bring into the healthcare environment. Second thing we're going to do is is look for existing documentation, existing information, or if we can't find it, produce our own that we then turn over to to health and human services that they can distribute broadly throughout healthcare. And then the third goal is is really what I described earlier, which is to uh, report back to Congress in either late spring of 2017 or early summer uh, what exactly we found, uh, what we learned uh, along the way, and what our suggestions are for healthcare and and, uh, improving the cybersecurity of the overall industry and sectors. As far as the challenges go, you know, getting back to what you were asking, really all industries continue to face, you know, a growing threat of attacks on their information systems. The size and the scope of attacks on healthcare information systems has really accelerated rapidly over the last two years. Inside of healthcare, the data that's actually housed is, is greatly useful for a variety of nefarious purposes, whether that is fraud, identity theft, extortion, uh, business disruption attacks, and even economic espionage through intellectual property theft. With the data being so worthwhile and and so uh, juicy, uh, for lack of a better term, it really highlights or emphasizes a lot of the challenges that healthcare has. Um, You know, they're, they're really numerous. You know, you could start with, say, electronic health records. You know, all that information stored, it's great that you can go to a doctor in California and then go to a a hospital in North Carolina and the idea that your information would be instantly uh, shared and that, that, you know, one institution would be aware of what was going on with you at another institution, it it really is a great thing. But from a security standpoint, it's really a nightmare. Um, You have someone housing your information, some exchange of information, some way for someone to fake being you, uh, one central store of information that can be broken into. These things are all... Uh, challenges uh, from a defense standpoint. Uh, if you look at medical devices, uh, they're really becoming more and more connected. So uh, almost every medical device now that's implanted or used inside of a hospital system is connected to some sort of networking. What that does is, you know, exposes uh, an attack surface that can easily be uh, taken advantage of by an attacker. There's actually, a, you know, there's a, there's a lot of small budgeted organizations. You think about either, you know, say a medical device company or a, or a one or two um, formulary, you know, pharmaceutical. Uh, if you look at uh, medical devices that are small, if you look at small regional hospitals that need to cover areas, these are all things that are needed and and they're they're greatly useful to to the overall healthcare uh, industry. But from a budgeting standpoint, they're in regional 
dispersion all over the country. Um, their budgets are small, and you know, being able to to afford talent uh, to come in with expertise in cybersecurity is very difficult. Um, as well as just having an overall budget for security that that's appropriate to the level of risk. Um, M&A activities, mergers and acquisitions, are sort of ripe and, and rampant across healthcare. Every time one of those happens, you have, you know, one network connecting to another. You know, if one's compromised, they can quickly spread to the other environment. You have a lot more interfaces. It's difficult for security uh, professionals to see across both institutions after a merger and acquisition event. So all of those things create, present a lot of a lot of challenges. And then, you know, to sort of finish off is just, you know, research and trials. Obviously, the medical field is one of these uh, wonderful uh, examples of what can happen when you put research institutions and pharmaceuticals and, you know, hospitals and uh, community uh, services all together in environments to do research to learn about things. But when you're doing that, you're sharing information, you're sharing communications, which obviously opens up more and more risk from a cybersecurity standpoint. Dan, to follow up, you talked about business disruption attacks as a key challenge for healthcare entities. Now, this has got to be more than what we've you know, seen in the past in terms of DDoS. Describe for me the types of attacks that you're typically seeing. Yeah, you know, this disruptive business attacks or the business disruption attacks really are a new norm for cyber threat actors. That You know, they go in, they want to think about deleting data, damaging systems, modifying critical data. The attackers, you know, offer to restore the systems or information to the victim organizations in exchange for money. So utilization of ransomware is probably the one we've heard about most, especially here in 2016. And that's just one means of accomplishing the goal of, of somehow or another taking over the data, whether it's from a, a deleting or, or changing or uh, and then offering up for ransom uh, the data in exchange for, for money. But that's really just one aspect of, of this kind of disruptive attack. You know, other things they're targeting are personally identifiable information, and they're increasingly focused on enterprise networking devices as a means to do that. The personally identifiable information, of course, presents another way for them to make money. One of the interesting things about the ransomware attacks that we've seen recently is that they're they're actually somewhat targeted after the initial means of compromise. And what I mean by that is you can imagine someone walking up and down your neighborhood thinking about breaking into your house. You know, they might want to go to the most expensive house and say, I'm targeting those guys. We know the Smiths have a lot of money and they go in. That isn't how these healthcare things are typically happening. It's more random than that. But once they get access, it's like an attacker who gets into your front door and then they instantly, instead of just looking everywhere for stuff, they say, I'm going directly to the bedroom I'm going to the jewelry chest, I'm going to steal the diamonds, and I'm getting out. That's sort of how these guys operate. Once they get that initial means of access, which is somewhat random based upon who has vulnerabilities and who they can get access to, from that point on, it's a very calculated, very manual process they go through in order to grab the the data they find most useful or to delete the data they think is most useful in order to have the ransoms. Really, the good news, though, at the end of the day is when it comes to these business disruption attacks, there's really a lot organizations can do to help protect themselves. That that doesn't cost that much money. Uh, Poor network segmentation is a huge issue. Housing non-patch vulnerabilities that are either buried inside of networking or storage devices or medical devices is a real problem. Poor security hygiene, poor networking and host visibility can easily be improved. And then, of course, uh, as always, protecting email as a delivery mechanism is an obvious place where people can improve. But all in all, there's a lot of reasonable investments and resources and capabilities that can vastly decrease the attack surface for most all healthcare companies. Dan, talk to me a little bit about threat intelligence. How can healthcare entities better leverage this data to maybe stay ahead of the threat actors that are targeting them? 
Yeah, one of the interesting things about threat intelligence is people always think you have to be the most sophisticated company with the biggest budget and have a threat intel team of your own in order to, to utilize the threat intelligence effectively. And that really couldn't be further from the truth. Intelligence is really is an investment in security efficiency and effectiveness. So it, it provides you with the knowledge that you need in order to understand your exposure. And, and you can use that knowledge to prioritize your spending and actions. So the easiest way for a, you know, a mid to small size institution to really put threat intelligence into action for their benefit is to buy solutions through manpower or products or both that basically have intelligence baked in. So you don't need to generate that intelligence yourself. You don't need to store it internally. You don't have to interpret it. You want to partner with an organization that has good intelligence and has already built it into the solutions or products. And it's really as easy as a, a four-step process as I described to organizations because they're often confused and think that utilizing threat intelligence has to be a, a sophisticated uh, approach to security. And, and really, it's almost the exact opposite. If you partner with folks that have good intelligence, you don't need to spend a lot of your own resources into developing your own teams. But number one, you know, the first thing you could do is basically maintain all the basic protection, the basic security fundamentals that you've always had. Don't move away from that because every new hot attack isn't necessarily going to hit along a certain vector, and you want to have that certain baseline of security there uh, and established. And then the second step is really just stay informed of the big picture. So you want to know what attacks are going on, know what's going on in your industry or in your sector, know what's going on in your region, know the general ways that attackers are getting in, what they're taking advantage of to get access, and what they're doing once they have the access. And then really what you want to do is go out, study the products and solutions that are in the marketplace, and find a company that has good quality intelligence baked into their products and solutions. And then the fourth step is really to take that list of companies that you really like and compare it to the things that you found out in step two when you were paying attention to what was going on and you were hearing about the different attack vectors and make sure you get good intelligence-backed products and solutions that are protecting you from those vectors that you learned about from your, your general thirst and understanding of the, of the threat landscape. And then, of course, if, if you're a very savvy organization with a large budget, you can use Intel in so many more ways uh, to have an extremely involved approach, like looking to build your own body of intelligence and, you know, augment that from additional sources and then use that uh, in your approach. But most organizations can, can get the most bang for their buck by using products and solutions that have really strong threat intelligence that are feeding those products and solutions. So talk to me a minute about FireEye. What solutions and services are you offering that do help healthcare organizations protect themselves against ransomware and some of the other business disruption attacks you've talked about? Yeah, there's really four primary pillars inside of FireEye that, that we try to sell. And the first is really a product platform that covers all the major visibility areas like networking, host, email, mobile, etc. And then we also have investigative products like our threat analytics platform and our enterprise forensics products that allow you to, to do deep forensic type research. So at the end of the day, that whole pillar is based, you're, you're thinking about solutions you can buy, products you can buy that will protect you and be watching uh, over certain parts of the network or allow you to do deep discovery of certain parts of the, uh, of the data that you have. The second pillar is really a managed service. This managed service is this combination of taking our products and our expertise and having them watch over your network. So instead of buying the products and you doing all the searching and looking and, and, and response yourself, 
you're hiring us to deploy our products, deploy our technology, and to keep a watch over all your networks and let you know when things aren't going right and help you with that response. And then our third pillars are professional services, which is probably best known for our world-class incident response, but that's not all we do. We also do all kinds of work in proactive planning and assessment services, but this is the organization you'd call if you have a compromise, you have an event going on in your network, you have a ransomware outbreak and you need help, you'd call up this services group. They would come on site or, or work with a plan with you to, to figure out how to deal with these problems. They can work with you building an assessment, say you've, uh, you're a hospital and, and you just bought a smaller hospital and bring them on as part of the merger and acquisition. I mean, that, that's a place where they can come in. They have a merger and acquisition assessment that they can do uh, to really look and, and find out how well positioned you are to bring that other organization's network into yours uh, and how you can do it in a safe manner. And then the fourth pillar is really our threat intelligence. Our threat intelligence is, is really a huge, huge differentiator for us. As I mentioned, our professional services is, is probably the best known incident response company in the world. So people that have breaches, you know, I, I would say probably 90-95% of the headlines you ever see, it's our folks responding to those breaches. And the reason that matters for threat intelligence is that we really get that first row view of what the attackers did, how did they get in, when they got in, where did they move, what tools did they use, what did they steal, why did they steal it, which systems did they go to. And after we do incident response engagement after engagement after engagement after engagement, tracking all these different attackers, that leaves us with a really interesting perspective on who these guys are and what they like to do and how you can recognize and detect them, those types of things. But then we augment that intelligence with really this FireEye product type of information. And I described that we have products that watch the hosts, and we have products that watch networks, and we have tens of millions of these virtual machines deployed all over the network across the world that all report back to a public cloud and tell us what they're seeing. So that source of intelligence, that telemetry type of intelligence, is extremely valuable. And then really the third component to that intelligence that we have that that isn't really duplicated, is, is really probably the largest private, you know, human intelligence effort uh, to gather intelligence uh, in the world from a private entity. So we have hundreds of analysts uh, displaced throughout the world that are uh, getting to know folks in the underground. They are trying to get close to tool makers. They're trying to get close to people that sell data uh, that they've stolen. And uh, they're, they're spending their time getting into these avenues where we can see Sometimes before tools are even deployed, you know, the creation of a tool or the request that a, a tool be created or someone selling data uh, on particular companies or particular individuals. And so when you combine those three different views of intelligence, that, that's our fourth pillar, which is we offer intelligence solutions that can help companies uh, really understand what's going on and prepare themselves. Note that we also complement all of our solutions with a rich partner ecosystem um, that offers us even more compatibility and coverage uh, because of the partners we have that can be integrated into our products and solutions. Dan, final question for you. Once your customers have deployed your solutions, your services, what has been their experience? Yeah, you know, looking back, I, I just think that the, you know, probably the, the easiest way to sum it up is that customers want more. You know, when they, when they buy what you have and they want more, that's a sign that we provided great value. You know, as far as specific examples, you know, I just think over my 10-year career at Mandiant that's now part of, of FireEye, and, you know, I can work, I can remember working on classified contracts to help improve the security of products for, you know, the Department of Defense. I can remember training year after year intelligence and policing agencies all over the world on what cyber attacks are, how to investigate them, tactics that actors are using, uh, those types of things. I can remember 
getting up at three in the morning uh, on a Thanksgiving morning in order to help a customer respond to a breach and uh, and sending incident responders on planes on Thanksgiving morning. I can remember helping secure nuclear facilities and nuclear research. Um, I can remember editing my team's groundbreaking APT1 report again and again and again. It was a it was a long effort. But anyways, I guess at the end of the day, it all all sort of looks similar. You know, we're, we're doing interesting work. We have extremely passionate, capable people. We have exceptional technology. And then for me, being so interested in intelligence, you know, we have fantastic visibility into threat actors. And, you know, it really combines that, that, that combination of technology, people, and visibility is what customers like most. And when they come to talk to us and they see the amazing capabilities we have from a technology standpoint, they get to meet and know the people we have, and then they combine in our visibility into everything and, and into what these attackers are doing. It really becomes a solid foundation to build a relationship with, with these customers. And then, you know, one of the things I always look back and I think, like, you know, going back to my earlier comment about, you know, the customers want more, is I just think my first customer that, that really I got to sell all four of these pillars of work uh, to, you know, they started out with a small incident response engagement and they came to us and said, hey, uh, you know, we have an issue here. We got to clean up. And so we spent a little bit of time with them uh, just a few weeks and were able to really clean up their environment, figure out who the bad guys and, and where it was going. And then before we left, they sort of stopped as we we're leaving and they're like, hey, we, we really need you to continue to watch over our shoulders. We need you to continue to watch and make sure we're, we're clean. And so with that, we bundled up a, a managed services contract. And then a few months later, as we're doing the managed service uh, contract, they came back and said, you know, we've watched what you're doing, and we want to build a team of people to do exactly what your folks are doing. So that turned into a product play where we sold products where they were able to apply their own expertise. And then years later, where it finally completed the fourth pillar, just in the last year or two, is they came back and said, you know what, now we want to be able to build our own threat intelligence team. So we have, we've gone through the stage where we didn't know what to do, we didn't know how to respond. We then asked you to watch our networks. We then got our own products and decided to watch our own networks. We then built our own intelligence so that we could do the work ourselves. And that's really it. That, that's the neat thing about, about FireEye is it's, we can embrace a customer anywhere in the, in the, you know, response security maturity path and really with any type of budget and, and augment their capabilities. And, and we're more than happy to sit there and, and grow along with that company as their capabilities grow. Dan, thank you so much for your time and your insight today. Very grateful. Yeah, thanks for having me. The topic has been healthcare organizations under attack, healthcare organizations fighting back. I've been speaking with Dan McWhorter. He's the chief intelligence strategist with FireEye. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Tom Field. Thank you very much.